welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Uh, we're way past big speech time. Huh? I want to thank you for the last few months. It's been very special for me. Anybody have anything they want to say? Yeah. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. Okay. I want to win for my dad. Let's win for Coach, who got us here. Thank you. With God of heaven, it is all one. To deliver with a great multitude or a small company. For the victory of battle standeth not in the multitude of hosts, but strength cometh from heaven. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the head, and he fell to the ground. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We wrap up our summer series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, what our favorite movie heroes can teach us about overcoming setbacks and failure with Hoosiers. And it's the perfect film to end on. Why? Because at its core is the condition that colors what overcoming our crucibles is really all about. Redemption. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. That clip you just heard is Coach Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, addressing his high school basketball team before their Indiana State Championship game in the 1950s. It's a small team from a tiny school, hence the David and Goliath reference from the team chaplain, and Coach Dale has done more than come to love his players by the time the team gets to this moment. He has instilled in them confidence and discipline in what he believes is the right way to play the game. Along the way, he extends grace and offers redemption to one of the boy's fathers, whose struggles with alcohol had made him a town pariah. And he's earned redemption himself thanks to the second chances he was extended by friends and strangers, opportunities he met with humility, courage, and character. There's a lot of great movies that we've seen, like The Natural, obviously, there's a bit of redemptive quality, but I guess for me, having had my own uh, challenges, as listeners know, you know, 2.25 billion dollar takeover, family business in Australia and media not working out. I love stories uh, where your life isn't over and there's a way back, either from your own mistakes or when things happen to you. So, uh, and I think that's why for so many people, uh, the movie that we're going to talk about is so beloved because there is this theme of redemption, of second chances, of coming back from challenges. So that's probably one of the reasons it's uh, so many people love this movie. Right. 
And I think more than any other movie uh, that we've covered in this series, Hoosiers truly is a movie about redemption. Uh, and that's a key concept that undergirds what we do at Crucible Leadership and here in Beyond the Crucible. And that is when we say your worst day doesn't define you, when we talk about bouncing back from setback and failure by learning the lessons of your trials and applying them, what we're really talking about at the most basic level is the word that Warwick used, is uh, redemption. That's what we're talking about. And it's interesting. I love to look up words in, um, uh, you know, the definitions of words in Noah Webster's first dictionary from 1828. And this is how he defined redemption in his first uh, dictionary in 1828. De he defines it as this, deliverance from bondage, distress, or from liability to any evil or forfeiture, either by money, labor, or other means. And that, in this movie, is the absolute story of the protagonist, Norman Dale. That's his story arc. But it's not just his story arc. It's the story arc of, of a bunch of other folks uh, in the movie that we'll talk about. Um, but I was intrigued, Warwick, and we haven't talked about this in advance. This is the moment right here. Like, if, if this were a game show, this is when someone would come out with a big sign that says, you know, I'm surprising Warwick, um, because we didn't talk <laughs> about this in advance as we prepped. Noah Webster's definition, the first word he uses as he talks about redemption is deliverance from bondage, distress, or from liability. Deliverance is the first word he used. And for me, that was an interesting word in the definition. Do you remember why that's that's so interesting in the context of crucible leadership and and you? Maybe, yeah. I mean, uh, I often would think that you know uh, what I went through was like prison, and I'm glad I'm out of it. But there's was a time, and uh, I guess uh, folks will see this very soon. We did a speaking video, right. mm -hmm. shot it in Denver, and we in a prep and all, but in terms of the actual footage. You know, I know roughly what I'm going to say, but that was the very first time that I said, you know, when the company went under, while it was a tragedy in so many ways for me and many others and in the company, there was a sense for me personally, deliverance. I might have even said deliverance from bondage. And, you know, we shot this know, a number of months ago, first time I've ever used right. that word. So sometimes the path of redemption, there's a sense of... Uh, of deliverance from a path that was painful and wasn't helpful. So yeah, that's, that reminds me of that scene yeah. in, in my own little video. <laughs> and it reminded me too. I mean, I was like, Oh my gosh, that was the word. And I, I still remember when you said it in this video that has not yet gone public, but will soon when you said that it was the first time you'd ever said it. And, and you've been talking about your story, you wrote about your story and you, you, you never used that. And I think, what that says to us is as we continue to walk out our journey in our life of significance or toward our life of significance, things can can shift and our perspective can change about what we we have learned from the crucibles we've been through. So that was indeed your story, as you said in the videos, as you've said many times, is one of redemption. Um, and that's certainly the story of the protagonist of this film, uh, Norman Dale. The first time we meet him. He arrives in Hickory, Indiana in 1951 to meet his old friend Cletus, who's the principal of Hickory High School. Now, Hickory, we see as he's driving in his car, is, a, is 
clearly a farming town, not a big town. One of the scenes he sees as he's driving in are a couple of boys shooting baskets on like what looks like a makeshift backboard and rim, uh, you know, like affixed to a barn. This is not a big city. This is a small town. And Norman Dale uh, arrives there to, to, to see his old friend Cletus. And it's been 20 years since they've uh, actually talked to each other. And we learn in their conversation, which is a typical kind of conversation old friends have, that uh, Dale has been hired as a new basketball coach of the Hickory Huskers, the basketball team, and also a history teacher at the school. We get the sense very clearly uh, that Norman Dale has been through a crucible, uh, but we don't know what it is yet. Because Cletus tells him, as he welcomes him, slate's clean here. We've got a job to do. So there's some slate that was not clean before, and now it's clear for Cletus as Norman Dale arrives in Hickory. And Norman Dale responds, it's got to work out this time, or that's it for good for him. So he recognizes, he says, again, we don't know what it is, but we know that something has happened in Norman Dale's life that was uh, that changed the trajectory of it, as we say here at Beyond the Crucible. And this is a key truth, I think, of what it is required of moving beyond a crucible, which is also expressed as being redeemed from errors or traumas of your past. And we don't yet know, as I said, what Norman Dale has been through. But it is a navigable road if others believe the best about you and give you a second chance. That's the takeaway from Norman Dale meeting up with his friend Cletus. He's got a second chance. We don't know what the, what the first chance was. We don't know what happened, but that's a pretty important point when he and Cletus are meeting and Cletus is like, yep, slate's clean. That will prove very um, important, very critical to the journey that Norman Dale goes on, right? Absolutely, Gary. I mean, redemption is the core theme of this movie. As you said before, not just for Coach Norman Dale, but for others uh, that we will uh, see here in a bit. But often, uh, especially when maybe you've done something wrong, it's easy for folks to write you off and say, yep, you know, not giving that guy, not giving that, that woman, you know, not giving that person a second chance. Uh, their history, it's almost like a the Bible, you know, leper, unclean, stay on the right. outskirts of town. You're, you're not acceptable in polite society anymore. Just leave. Your life is over. Just just disappear. Hide in a hole somewhere. And it's easy to feel like the whole world sees you that way. And it's not often, unfortunately, that somebody will give you a second chance. Somebody, maybe you don't even believe in yourself anymore, but somebody maybe sees a glimmer of something worth saving, something worthwhile and is willing to give you a second chance. And that's, it's a powerful lesson in this movie. And it's sad that it's its not as common as it should be. So as we talk about this, just think about that whole concept of, you know, do you want a second chance? Are you willing to give others a second chance? It's not easy to come back from uh, the pit of despair if nobody's willing to give you a second chance. Right. It's hard to get out of that pit alone. Right. It's possible, it's vastly easier if somebody stretches their arm down and says, here, grab my arm, I'm going to help you out of the pit. It right. makes it so much easier. And it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it until you just said that. I hadn't thought about this perspective. But we see in Hoosiers sort of a both and in that regard with with Coach Norman Dale in that there are definitely those who do support him, like Cletus, and we'll meet others as we talk. But there's also... Uh, 
uh, a contingent of folks in that small town who aren't big Norman Dale fans, even if they don't know anything about him, really. Uh, we find that out. Um, he meets with a group of town fathers almost immediately coming into town. And when I say town fathers, I mean that in both senses of the word, the idea of that they're sort of the elders of the town, but they're also the fathers of the kids on the basketball team. Um, and we discover in, in a meeting that he has with uh, these town fathers that he used to coach in college, but he hasn't coached in 12 years. And the last time he did so was in Ithaca, New York. And because Indiana is so basketball crazed, the town fathers are suspicious of, of Norman Dale and they're pushy to offer their advice. I mean, they are, you know, try this, do that. I'm running practice now because the other coach, the previous coach had passed away. That's why Norman Dale was hired. He's got nothing but advice coming at him, being shot at him out of a out of cannons from all of these town fathers about how to run the team. And they really, in a very real sense, these these men become Normandale's first crucible in Hickory. Uh, and it's a common one for all of us. Um, the expectation and vision of others interfering with our pursuit of our own vision. That can be very difficult to resist, and it can feel very traumatic to go through, right? It can. I mean, there's some wonderful vignettes. I think one of the dad's name is George, I believe, and says, you know, coach, uh, here we play uh, zone. We don't play man-to-man defense. And so uh, which do you, you know, what are you? Are you zone or man-to-man as if like there's a right answer? And, and coach Dale is smart enough not to answer the question because I'm guessing, you know, more about basketball than I did. probably depends on the other right. team and a variety of circumstances. Um and this guy, George, says, hey, you know, uh, Coach Dale, why don't you just basically, you know, give, sit down, relax, first few weeks, and I, we'll, we'll ease into it. It's like they're not willing to hand over the keys of the kingdom. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. So it is all too common when, you know, you have a vision that you're trying to pursue that um, others will say, well, that's great, uh, Warwick, Gary, but you know, kind of, uh, here's how I think you should do it. And uh, actually, your vision is not really meeting our expectations. And it's like, well, and that should matter why. It's like, it's right. my vision. It's your vision. It's like, why should other people get the right to interfere? Why do we have to fulfill others' expectations? You know, why do they get to uh, tinker with it? But it's, that's often real life is uh, you don't have too many people saying, Hey, any any way I can help you or encourage you with your vision, right. or you know, rather than let me you know tinker with it and get my uh, wrench out and start unscrewing stuff, that's not helping. <laughs> that's messing. It's a right. fine line between messing and helping, and we all know what it is. You know, you you know it when you see it. Right. So, but it's all too common that people want to kind of mess things up. Right. And in your own story, Warwick, in, in your own crucible uh, that you've talked about on the show, and you've and you unpack uh, in in detail in your book, Crucible Leadership. In your own story, it wasn't even so much, I think, that people tinkered with your vision. As you've said many times, your vision was sort of on the shelf. It didn't matter. Um, so, So you know a bit about what this feels like, this idea of the expectations and vision others have for you can interfere with your pursuit of your own vision, right? Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I mean, in my case, it wasn't even that my vision was on the shelf. It's like I right. didn't even know I had a vision. Right. Uh, I didn't know that I had a right to have a vision. 
you know, that wasn't right to have your own vision. That was like morally wrong almost. I mean, that's an extreme case, but it's like my vision, which is not my vision, was to um, kind of, you know, inherit the mantle of my great-great-grandfather, John Fairfax, who came out from England in the late 1830s and founded this great newspaper, the Sydney Morning Herald in 1841, grew to be a 700 million, you know, multimedia company, newspapers, TV, radio, magazines. Uh, it was massive. And so my quote-unquote vision was to be the next generation to help perpetuate, improve, uh, bring it back to the ideals of the founder, uh, help restore my dad's vision. It was thrown out by some other family members in 76. I launched this $2.25 billion takeover in 87. But it was all to live to the expectations of my parents, to the ideals of the founder, John Fairfax, my great-great-grandfather. None of it had to do with me and my vision or what I wanted to do or my beliefs. It was all about, it was an extreme case of living somebody else's vision. And I honestly felt like to do what I wanted to do was quote-unquote selfish and almost morally wrong. I had no right to my own vision. That was wrong. My, I was here to serve somebody else's vision. It's a warped concept, but the time it made perfect sense. I have no right to my own life, my own vision. I'm here to serve, right? Not even my dad's vision, my great great grandfather's vision, right? In like a hundred plus years before, that's like crazy, really. And there are beats of that to Norman Dale's story. This idea of you don't have a right to your own vision. You don't have a it's not your job, even though you're the coach to decide what kind of defense we play. <laughs> it's not your job to decide who, I mean, one thing that was interesting about this movie, it, it, it's funny that, that the high school sports cliche of, of parents of athletes on the team that wasn't explored at all in this is, is parents being mad that their son isn't playing. That was an interesting thing. I thought, okay, they avoided that one. That's good. But in a very real sense, although your crucibles are much different and your visions and, and the and the wrench that was tossed in your pursuit of vision is different. It is true that that Norman Dale had to struggle through this idea of his vision wasn't worthy. People got to thought they got to judge his vision of how he wanted to coach the team. And as we'll discover, he was having none of that. The second crucible that Norman Dale has while he is in Hickory follows quickly after. And that's that his team is uh, undisciplined and they're small, not just in in size, they're all pretty short, but also a number of players. When he gets there, there's only seven people on the team, seven kids on the team, and two of them quit within minutes of the first practice. Now, one of them comes back, that leaves him with six, but with basketball having five players, that doesn't give you a lot of rotational depth, as they say. Um, And then even worse, from everybody in the town's perspective, except his fellow teacher at the school, at Hickory High School, uh, Myra Fleener, The best player in town, Jimmy Chitwood, has refused to play since his previous coach, who he must have loved, passed away. So here's the great thing about Normandale as an example for us to look at and follow as we uh, navigate beyond our crucibles. Despite those setbacks, he remains committed to his task and his vision for achieving it teaching the boys on the team basketball's fundamentals and building them into a single-minded force on the court. His philosophy, which he says to them is this, five players on the court who function as a unit, team, team, team. And what all this 
leads me to conclude, and this is a, an enormous point for listeners in their own walking beyond their crucible, is Norman Dale's a great role model for the perspective we need to move beyond a crucible. Believe in yourself and your vision for a life of significance, no matter who may disagree with or even oppose you. He's not arrogant, but he's confident. He is, as you've said many times, your phrase, off the charts passionate about the way he believes basketball should be played, and he does not allow his detractors to bump him off course. He truly is a good role model for us as individuals trying to move beyond crucibles, isn't he? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I love about Norman Dale is he is confident in his own vision. And, you know, there's a difference between humility and confidence in your vision. Uh, it's not arrogance to believe in, you know, not just his method of playing basketball, but he has a set of values. He has a set of beliefs about how kids should play basketball as a team. It's not about one person, about basketball's fundamentals. Right. It's a set of beliefs about the way the game of basketball should be played the right way. And so the confidence in his vision is grounded in the confidence in his fundamental beliefs about what the game of basketball should teach young kids. That is beyond basketball, it's lessons for life. I think the right. great coaches, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, they have a belief in a set of values, especially in high school. I mean, how many high school kids are going to play college, let alone professionals? Like, right. you know, one in a million. It's, I mean, coaches realize that, even if the parents often don't. Um, every parent thinks their kid's a future star, you know, and it's often not the case. But, uh, but the coaches realize it's not just about winning and losing. It's about molding young kids to be great, you know, men and women when they grow up. And so that's what Norman Dale believes. And so it's not arrogance. It's confidence in his vision and the beliefs and values that undergird that vision. That's what uh, Norman Dale is really fighting for. He's really fighting for the character of these kids in a sense. Right. And remove the word basketball from everything that you just said. Take it out of a sports context. That's the kind of thing that leaders everywhere need to have leaders in the home. In you know, my favorite um, phrase that we don't use nearly enough from the boardroom to the living room, right? <laughs> leaders all over the place. That is the perspective. That is a healthy perspective to have. Lean into your values, lean into your passions, um, and then march those out despite the, 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 the shots that might get fired at you from those who don't believe. The other thing that's that Norman Dale does, he doesn't go for the easy fix, quote unquote, in turning around the fortunes of the team. He meets with Jimmy Chitwood, the kid everybody says they got to have on the team or they're not ever going to go anywhere. And uh, because Jimmy's always shooting baskets around town and, and, and Coach Dale tells him he's not going to try to woo him back. He's not going to be like everybody else and say, oh, please, please, please come back. He actually tells Jimmy Chitwood this. Your talent is yours to do with what you choose. That is a truth that applies to all of us, right? When trying to chart a course to a life of significance, our talents and passions are the building blocks of our vision, but we have to be the builder. We have to be the builder. No one else can force us to take on or take on the construction for us. It's our responsibility. And Norman Dale says to Jimmy Chitwood, your talent, do with it what you will. That is a perspective we can encourage in others 
but we have to adopt ourselves. We have to believe that's true about us too, don't we? It's a great point, Gary. I mean, this is really one of the high points, and there's quite a few of them, uh, of the movie in which Coach Norman Dale lives his beliefs. Like he has fundamental beliefs in his own vision and values, but he is not going to foist and impose his vision on somebody else. And if, as we'll see, if Coach Norman Dale's vision was all about winning, you know, Norman Dale's buddy, uh, Cletus, who's the principal of the school and and is an assistant coach, at least certainly for part of the uh, season on the team, Cletus says to Norman Dale, Jimmy Chitwood is a stand-up basketball player, the best he's seen in 40 years. That's a long time. He has just got this special talent, this gift that in this small high school where early in the movie they say there's like 64 boys in the high school. So you know, got to pick, you know, five, seven, however many they can get out of 64. It's a small school. So if he was all about winning, it's like, look, if I'm going to have a successful season, it all rides on Jimmy Chitwood. If he plays, we've got a shot. If he doesn't play, we're doomed. So therefore, however I've got to manipulate, coerce, force, bribe, whatever it takes, if I'm about winning, I mean, if Jimmy plays, maybe we win. If Jimmy doesn't play, we're doomed. It's pro- And that's probably an accurate assessment. It's probably that simple. But what I love about this is that Coach Norman Dale is not going to impose his vision on Jimmy Chitwood. He realizes, and he says to him, you know, not so many words, is you have the right to do with your life what you will. I'm right. not going to force you to play basketball. And he doesn't. That's an, that's an incredible stance to take, and it's really tantamount to Coach Norman Dale is really living his values and beliefs in an area where it potentially could cost him his job, right. uh, could cost him a successful season. It's not a small thing. It's a big statement, and it's a really incredible uh, moment of uh, shining uh, a spotlight on a great moment of character for Coach Norman Dale. And it's... It- in particular, because we know from the beginning of the movie, he's been through a crucible and it was a big one. He hasn't coached in 12 years. He tells Cletus, yeah, this is my last shot. Cletus tells them the slate's clean. Something bad happened before um, that forced him out of the game for a very long period of time. And yet he doesn't go for what looks like the easy fix. He won't put his need to succeed ahead of what Ever Jimmy needs to do, wants to do, uh, or pursue uh, with his life, which shows a tremendous amount of character. Which is interesting for the for the movie goer in watching the movie because if if you don't know anything about this film, and and listener, if you're one of the folks who has well, what what is Hoosiers about? I've never seen it. We haven't told you yet what his crucible was, and you might be thinking, "Geez, what? I mean, this guy sounds pretty good. How could he have gone through it? He 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 knows a lot. How does he need to have the slate wiped clean?" Hang tight, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> the perspective with Jimmy that Norman Dale shows begins to thaw his relationship with Myra, who she says she looks after Jimmy. She's taken an interest in him. Uh, she's also a teacher at the school, and she doesn't want him forced to play like everybody else in town wants to do it. She wants to. She wants something better for him than small town hickory. Um, she's not sure what that is, but she wants something better for him. And then Norman Dale moves on and continues to wrestle with executing his vision. And here's an example where the the opposition comes from his players after telling them. Again, trying to teach them how to play basketball right, as you said. He tells them, 
pass the ball four times before shooting. Clear instruction before the game. But one defies the order as the team is losing, figuring if passing the ball four times, you got to make up a lot of score. I'm just going to start uh, chucking the ball at the basket. And he makes most of his shots. But Norman Dale takes him out of the game anyway. He then plays with only four boys on the court when another one fouls out. It's an important truth here for us all to remember. Our visions may face opposition, but we can't abandon them if we want to achieve them. It, it, it could have been easy if Norman Dale was all about winning, not about building the proper way to play the game in these boys entrusted to his coaching. Could have been easy to put that guy who was draining all those shots back in the game, but he doesn't do it. He goes with only four players. Um, that takes a lot of grit to pull that off, doesn't it? It really does, Gary. I mean, it's another important point that I really one of the keys to this movie is a vision needs to be supported, undergirded by our visions and by our beliefs and uh, and values. And it really is here is. Uh, you know, Coach Norman Dale is like winning or losing is not as important in playing the right way of passing four times. It's not about selfishness and shooting. It's about by moving the ball, you increase your chances of playing well. It's the right way to play. And he would rather lose, you know, with just four out of five uh, on the court than, you know, maybe win the wrong way. He's Yes, he wants to win, but more important, he wants to win the right way and teach kids about teamwork and the right way to play the game of basketball. It's um, time and time again, uh, his vision is anchored. We all talk in crucible leadership all the time. Your vision has to be anchored by your visions and beliefs. Well, in terms of the way to play basketball and how to teach uh, young boys uh, character, there's a rock solid anchor in that sense with uh, Norman Dale's coaching uh, philosophy. It's really, it's so impressive. He, he doesn't compromise his beliefs about the right way to teach character to boys in high school and the right way to play basketball. He will not compromise that, win or lose. Time and time again, he makes that statement. It's just so impressive. And it's just a great lesson for all of us is just don't lose sight of what your uh, values and beliefs are. If you want to make sure your vision stays true and doesn't get sidetracked, you know, the more it's anchored to your beliefs and values, the less chance it'll have of uh, going in directions that you don't want it to go. And he sticks to it, Coach Dale does, sticks to it, even as the withering criticism just keeps banging against him. Um, he reveals at one point that his vision for the team, the way he wants to coach them, his, his, his vision is to, as he says, break them down and build them back up. To break stuff down, it causes a little mess. And some messes are happening there as he's trying to impart not just the the wisdom of how to execute passes and shots and and plays, but how to do it in a way that that builds cohesion with the team. That's his big, big thing. The film's theme of redemption that we've talked about isn't just in the case of Coach Dale. It's also uh, shown vividly in Shooter. Uh, Shooter is the name of the father of one of the boys on the team who lives in this ramshackle cabin in the woods, and he seems to spend most of his time inebriated. But he knows basketball. He shows up in a 
in a fun scene at coach Dale's house with a scouting report on an upcoming opponent. And the way he talks about basketball, he's just, he's played by Dennis Hopper in the movie. Who's a, who's a very unique actor and he, and he plays it in this kind of hip way of, of, you know, talking in all this basketball lingo, but he has good intelligence. What he's saying, his Intel proves pretty good to the coach so much so that coach Dale asks him, asks shooter to be an assistant coach, sit with him on the bench and help guide these boys. The offer comes with some 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 strict requirements, though. He's got to stop drinking. He's got to you know you know become more presentable. He's unshaven and kind of unclean a lot of times. He he's got to he's got to clean up his act physically and also in his drinking in order to do it. Shooter's son, who's on the team, thinks it's a bad idea because he's embarrassed by his dad, whom he dismisses as just a drunk. But Norman Dale asks the boy a penetrating question when's the last time someone gave him a chance and that's what so many of us need in the aftermath of a crucible right a chance the opportunity to prove that our worst moments don't define us we say that all the time on this show our your worst moments don't define you but we need the opportunity to prove that if no one gives us that opportunity we can't live out that truth it's a doorway to redemption that Norman Dale offers Shooter, right? It really is. I mean, you know, what's fascinating about this scene is it's, you know, the redeemed uh, paying it forward and trying to redeem Good. others. Good point. It's a beautiful vision. Uh, just as uh, Coach Norman Dale's old buddy Cletus gave uh, Norman a second chance 12 years after he played basketball, not play it, coached basketball in college in New York. It's so bad that he left basketball completely and was a petty officer in the Navy for 10 years. That's about as far away from basketball as you can get. Right. It's how bad things were. And we'll find out later just why it was so bad. But uh, some people, when they're given a second chance, they don't pay it forward. as well, that's good. I think I deserved a second chance. I'm glad they gave me a second chance. That's great. You know, other people, well, you know, they'll have to earn it on their own. Not everybody thinks of paying it forward, but Coach Norman Dale does. He sees in Shooter somebody who knows a whole lot about all the other teams and the intel that could be redeemed. Even his own son, uh, Shooter's son, doesn't think his dad can be redeemed. Pretty much everybody has given up on him. The townspeople, nobody thinks it makes sense right. having him on the sidelines. Everybody's given up. And obviously, getting over an addiction is never easy. But I would imagine if somebody gives you a second chance and somebody gives you a reason to keep on living a good way, you know, to use your gifts and talents to help others, I think maybe it, it was a bumpy road back, but it gives Shooter, you know, a reason to come back from alcoholism. It's like, you know, I've got my son, I've got the kids on the team. I can rehabilitate my life, but you know, somebody doesn't give you a chance. Again, it's like trying to get out of the pit or by yourself. It's possible, but it's so much harder. I have to believe the fact that uh, Coach Norman Dale is willing to give Shooter a second chance. You know, it won't be easy, but it gives him a better shot at beating his own demons and alcoholism. Just somebody willing to believe when nobody will. It's, right. it's just remarkable because all this will do is make his life tougher. You know, yes, it might give him better intel, but if you did a cost-benefit analysis, you know, 
Right. It's like, gee, maybe he can help me. What is the chances of him being sober, reliably on the sideline? Probably not high if one wanted to be cynical. Is this going to tick off parents in the town? Absolutely. So, you know, if you look at it, a cost-benefit scenario, the smart play would be not to bring him on as assistant coach. That's not a smart play. But again, it's not about winning and losing. It's about values and beliefs. And Coach Norman Dale believes it's the right thing to do to give Shooter a chance at redemption. It's a, it's a wonderful moment. And in that belief, he's kind of a party of one or two, if you, you, know, if, if you probably count Myra in there. The townspeople don't like it. And then they add it to their list of problems with Coach Dale. Um, they don't like the way he coaches. They don't like the fact that he brought Shooter on board. And so much so they don't like this, that they, that they call a town meeting to vote him out. Apparently in Hickory, Indiana, you can have it, you know, the, the townspeople, the town fathers can come together and vote out the high school coach. Um, and that's what they aim to do. And Myra is the one who tells him she's the acting principal because the principal who was a coach had a heart attack because he was like overworked on the bench. So that's one of the reasons why Coach Dale needs Shooter to be an assistant coach because he lost his other assistant coach. Myra is the acting principal. So she comes to Coach Dale and says, hey, They've called this meeting. But the other thing that she tells them is that she has discovered, she doesn't use these words, we'll use our words, she's discovered what his crucible was. He had coached the Ithaca Warriors to the NCAA college championship, she discovers in an old newspaper story. But he was fired and and suspended for life from coaching in college because he physically assaulted a, a player on his own team. Myra tells him not to attend the meeting of the town because it's not going to be pretty, but he does anyway. The possible crucible of being dismissed from his job and for his past being revealed. Remember, this is set in the 1950s, folks. There's no internet where you can type in Norman Dale uh, on Google and find out what happened to him. Uh, you have She had to go to the, like a big city and look it up on microfilm or something to find out what had happened to him. She tells him, don't come. It's not going to be pretty, but he shows up. Even that possible crucible of, of having his, his darkest, most embarrassing uh, crucible revealed doesn't keep him away. It uh, doesn't keep him in bed under the covers. That's pretty remarkable and says a lot about the character of, of, of Norman Dale, doesn't it? It really is. I mean, this was, you know, an incredible crucible, uh, whether it's some beats later, we learn more about it. But he loves the game of basketball and he gets banned. Not only does he get banned for life from the NCAA from coaching college basketball in Ithaca, New York, but the uh, New York high school athletic association bans him for life right. from coaching high school basketball in the state of New York, which is why, you know, uh, there's no chance of redemption in high school basketball in New York. It'd have to be somewhere else, in this case, Indiana. So things were pretty dire. And there's uh, some interesting moments uh, as this town hall meeting is happening. It's about to go to a vote, as we'll see. And one of the things that happens is that uh, he tells the town meeting, he says he's made mistakes and he takes full responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. Another key lesson is sometimes you make mistakes in life. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Sometimes our crucible, our worst day is 100% our fault. Not always. In this case, it was 100% Norman Dale's fault. And he realizes that 
And he admits that in a later scene when he is chatting with uh, Myra in the fields, we learn uh, kind of a little bit more. And he said, you know, he looks back at that scene where he sort of punches this kid out and he wishes he could do it. He could not do it. He sees himself doing it. You know, like you replay your worst moment in your life and you just wish you could stop what you just did happening, but you can't. And he said, you know, the funny thing is the kid that he punched was the best kid that ever played for him. Right. He was a good kid. He wasn't a, a nasty kid. He said he was tough, stubborn, and willful. And then Myra says, ironically, sounds like somebody I know, you know? <laughs> so he's like, he was almost like he's punching himself. So that's what made it so hard. He wasn't punching this troublemaker, this maybe, you know, the, the crime didn't deserve it, but the kid was a bad kid. In this case, this was a good kid. He, you know, he was one of the best players he ever had. And so it just made that fall from grace so much tougher. And um, But he was willing to own up to what he did and to live with what he did and admit his mistakes and say it, it was wrong. Right. He's, he's fully, and that's one of the key steps we always talk about in crucible leadership and beyond the crucible. You've got to learn the lessons from your crucible. And if that's your fault, a big part of it is saying, you know what? It was my fault. I made a mistake. I blew it. And I'm sorry. And um, you begin to find ways of moving forward from it. And in, in some cases, atoning, if that's what you need to do. So... It's a very moving moment. He's up there speaking before the town hall. Yeah, and it's uh, two unexpected things happened during that meeting. One, you've 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 teased a little bit, and that he had a scene with uh, with Myra later, where he he reveals um, that the player that he punched was someone who was uh, who who was the best kid on the team. Uh, Myra's perspective on Coach Dale changes during the meeting. She goes up there with the intention of reading the story that she found in the big city, and she doesn't. She, she, her, her view of him is changed. She, she sees the character in him. She sees something in him in the same way that, that Coach Dale sees something in Shooter. She sees something in him that's worth giving him a chance and not reading the thing that would have been his absolute dismissal warrant if she would have read the story of what happened. And you picked up on something. When she goes back to her seat in that meeting, how she is emotionally by that moment. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you know, at this point, uh, she's the assistant principal. Uh, I think it must have happened earlier. Uh, Cletus has a heart murmur. Something happens. He's laid up a bit. And uh, so normally it would be uh, Cletus is the principal getting up in front of a meeting to represent the school. Well, now it's, you know, Myra. And you could see as she's talking about Coach Norman Dale, she kind of tears up a bit. And she, you're right. She can't. She can't get into all of the stuff that's happened. And so you begin to see that her view of Norman Dale has changed. She has empathy. Right. We learned earlier that she doesn't really like basketball a whole lot. You know, she has a brother that played basketball and her whole family idealized her brother. And, oh, you know, look what's happening at the game. And he's so good. And it's like, you know, what about me? So. You know, she just sees these kids with this shining moment in high school, that that's their shining moment, and that, and then it's over. So she's not a great lover of the game of basketball. You know, yeah. so he's, you know, it's, it's just amazing how you see her empathy for uh, Norman Dale really growing there. She sees maybe she learns not just something about him, but maybe she learns about the game of basketball when done the right way, what it could be 
in this case, to young young boys, young men with their character. She 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 learns lessons that I think she never le- understood before meeting Norman Dale. It's it's a fascinating and sort of complex scene. Yeah, and the other thing that was unexpected that happens during the town hall meeting is that lo and behold, Jimmy Chitwood comes in, and Jimmy, <laughs> um, you know, shy kid, great jump shot, shy kid. Jimmy says to the assembled town folk that um, he's decided he's going to play basketball for the Hickory Huskers. He's coming back to the team. One of the parents who had just, who had just voted to get uh, coach Dale out screamed something like, see, I knew as soon as the, we got rid of this coach, he'd be back. But Jimmy has a surprise for him. Jimmy says he'll only come back if, Coach Dale stays. And this is an appropriate time to reveal that I am indeed wearing a Hickory High School, not jersey, it's a jersey, they call it a shirt. This is Jimmy Chitwood's number. So I am representing <laughs> right here, Jimmy Chitwood. I had to hide, not hide, but behind my microphone, you couldn't tell what number I was wearing, but that's what number I'm wearing. I'm wearing Jimmy's number because Jimmy comes back to the team and I didn't want to give that away too soon. Um, from that moment, when Jimmy comes back, the trajectory uh, of Hoosiers changes. The team starts winning. In a sense, the team has redeemed itself. Uh, Coach Dale trying to help Shooter gain confidence after he froze in an earlier game when the coach was kicked out for arguing with the refs, this time gets kicked out again on purpose because he wants to give Shooter another chance to do it. And Shooter does it. He leads the team to victory. But a few games later, Shooter relapses and he ends up in a rehab hospital. And that, I think, is a good reminder that redemption is a journey. It's not a one-and-done scenario. When moving beyond our crucibles, we often, maybe even usually, encounter or cause other ones. That's when it's important. Here's the critical point. That's when it's important to have people around us who believe in us And it's also important to be a person who believes in those going through crucibles. For me, Warwick, that was perhaps the the biggest aha moment in this movie is, 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 is what happened to shooter and, and realizing perfection is not required even on the road to redemption as you're walking that road. Right. It is a great scene and a great moment. Uh, Coach Norman Dale He's not a fair weather friend. It's not like, okay, I'll have you assistant coach if you clean yourself up and and stay sober. But hey, it's one strike, one strike, and you're out. You make one mistake, and and your history. Um, at least that's uh, that's not the way he treats shooter. Uh, he has relapses. Life back from the bottom of the pit is typically not smooth. Right. Stuff either happens to you. Or you tend to make mistakes. You know, you don't go from uh, not. I mean, not that many people uh, have just a completely clean slate when they're trying to climb back from uh, crucibles, whether it's alcoholism or you know whatever other crucibles. Sometimes there are relapses, and what's important is having somebody like Coach Norman Dale is in your corner, and it's like they're not going to just abandon you because you make an, a mistake or you have a relapse. It's What's the trajectory? You know, are you moving forward? And having somebody that believes in you, the way Coach Norman Dale did, it's uh, it's it's incredible. It's just like he's not going to give up give up on his team and the young uh, boys on that team. He's not going to give up uh, on Shooter. It's just 
it's amazing. We need to be like Coach Norman Dale and not give up on people. Um, and we also, you know, want to have people like Coach Norman Dale in our lives that won't give up on us when, right. you know, maybe we have a bit of a relapse, you know. You want people that will stay with you. And that was part of his values and beliefs. It's uh, it's really impressive. Yeah, there's a really sweet scene that happens after that when um, Coach Dale visits Shooter in the hospital. And Shooter is going through, you know, withdrawal from alcohol. And he's just emotionally distraught. And he's he's almost crying. And he's he's kind of frantic. And he's he keeps apologizing. And he keeps saying he's no good. And, and you know, I, I mess everything up. And, and, and Norman Dale says to him, Nothing could be further from the truth. Again, at his lowest moment, when he wants, when Shooter wants to just literally stay in bed with the, with you know the the um, um, sheets pulled up over his head, Coach Dale gives him a word of encouragement, a word of here's a perspective on who you are that's different from your perspective right now. That you're not, you're, you're more than your worst day is basically what he's telling Shooter. Nothing could be further from the truth. So the Huskers make an advance in the playoffs and coach Dale, when they're in the playoffs, give us, gives a speech to the team, making clear how much he believes in them. I want you to listen to the, the words of this speech listener, because I think this is the kind of thing that you could type up, stick on your wall as you encounter your own crucibles. No, it's not 1950 at the moment. You're not a high school basketball player, perhaps. You're not a basketball player at all, perhaps. But what Norman Dale tells his team before this, this, this playoff game is, is the exactly the kind of perspective we need as we're looking to move beyond a crucible and aim at a life of significance. Here's what he says. Remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals. Don't get caught up in thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and attention into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says. In my book, we're going to be winners. That applies to pretty much every situation, right, in life that we can go through where we get the wind knocked out of our, you know, out of our, our breath taken from us and we feel like we've been knocked off balance. Those are words. It's not about grabbing the brass ring all the time. It's about effort and, and significance and pursuing your vision and values. And that's a, that, that to me was a, was an extremely powerful moment in the film. Absolutely. Gary, it's, it is one of the greatest lessons that I think coach Norman Dale has learned. I mean, maybe the old one who uh, coached the Ithaca Warriors uh, college basketball, uh, maybe he was all about winning. I'm guessing he probably was. Yeah. Maybe that kid that was such a good player, maybe he was making mistakes. Uh, you know, maybe he wasn't having a good game. The old Norman Dale was probably all about winning. Uh, but here he learns, you know, as we often say, you know, success in of itself is not very rewarding. It's success, right. hopefully, and significant. And of the two, you always choose significance. So for Coach Norman Dale, it's, as you said, it's not about winning or losing. It's about how you play the game, playing the right way, giving it your all. If you've given it your all, what the scoreboard says is not relevant. You've given it your all, you've done your best, and that's what matters. It's your character, it's how you play it, how you treat others. And he genuinely believes this. He is giving these young men, these boys, incredible life lessons, character lessons that will serve them well in their business careers and their families, 
in the decades to come. These are invaluable, and he's living, you know, uh, you know, one of the, the most important games in the season. Uh, this playoff game that will determine, you know, who gets to the state championship for a small team in Indiana. This is huge. But he says, you know, it's not about winning. It's about how we play the game. It's about the fundamentals, being the best you can be. It's hard to think of a better life lesson that he could have taught those uh, those boys, yet those young men at that moment. It, clearly, he was living his beliefs and his vision. And you have to believe it's a very different Norman Dale than last coached the Ithaca Warriors uh, in New York in uh, in college. It's it's an amazing metamorphosis, amazing transition for, for Norman Dale. Yeah, and what happens almost immediately after that um, makes me think of my journalism career and, and what I used to always tell reporters. When you're writing a story, show, don't tell. Show me something rather than just tell me. And Norman Dale has the opportunity to do that very thing. And he almost messes it up in the game that follows. A player who um, had been injured earlier in a in a on-court altercation. He got knocked into a, a trophy case glass, cut him on the shoulder. He gets fouled in this game and his stitches open up and he starts bleeding. And the trainer comes over and says, you know, okay, well, we got to get him out. And, and Coach Dale says, without really thinking, right, it's, it, it's just sort of his, his reflex says, you know, stitch him up, get him back, because it's one of the better players on the team. So as the, the player's going off with the trainer, the camera, it's a great shot. The camera shows Norman Dale walking away and he stops and you see him from the back and he kind of drops his head and he realizes that he's responsible for these boys in ways that have nothing to do with what the scoreboard says. He just said that to them. Um, so he reconsiders his stitch him up and get him back in the game. And he, he, he realizes also that he's lost sight of his responsibility in, in the same way, not as, not as, as aggressively uh, or as, or as, destructively is when he punched his own player, but he realizes he was, he was betraying his values by putting an injured player back in just to win. He would be betraying his values, his values. And he calls uh, that player back, even if it means he's not going to win, he's going to live by his words. That's the first time we see him almost crossing the line again, but he doesn't do it. And it's a powerful thing for us to look at and see that, we're going to be tempted sometimes on the road back from a crucible to cut a corner or to do something the old way that we, that we used to do things. And this is very instructive for us and gives us hope that we too can make the right decisions. Yeah, absolutely, Gary. I mean, we're all human uh, from a faith perspective. You might say we're all fallen. We're all going to be tempted. And the issue is not tempt the temptation. The issue is, what do you do about that? Do you say no to temptation? And yes, for a second, he was tempted to say, hey, I'd like to win this game. It's a big right. playoff game. You know, if the if the kid can stand, even on one leg, with one arm, let's play him. But, you know, it was a pretty significant uh, wound. He thought about it for a second, and he self-corrected. and says, you know what, that's not right. You know, kid, you need to kind of sit on the bench. We need to put in uh, somebody else. And so one of the big lessons in life is, we're going to be tempted. The issue isn't the temptation. Is what do you do about it? Right. Yeah. And if you can begin to self-correct and say, you know what, that's not in line with my values and beliefs. I'm not living what I just told the kids that we should be doing. That's I'm a not hypocrite, right. Right. He's a hypocrite. Right. If he Ex does that. Yeah. Sometimes you need other people to help you and call you on it. And it's good if you listen to those 
folks, even better. I mean, it's good to have people helping you. It's one step even better if it doesn't even get to that point because you correct yourself before somebody else needs to or before you do damage. So it's a powerful lesson. Live your values and beliefs. And if you suddenly feel like, well, hang on, that's probably not a smart play, then pull it back. Don't make the mistake. And that's what uh, that's what Norman Dale does. It's really impressive. And in that moment, I think his redemptive arc is complete. Uh, he is he his path to redemption has been he's reached that destination. He puts significance, caring for others entrusted to his care over success, which would be winning a playoff basketball game. And that's what we talk about here all the time. Significance is far more valuable than just success. Success with significance, great. Norman Dale decides significance is what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm preaching to these kids. That's what I'm going to live by. And if success happens, great. If not, so be it. But success does happen anyway. And it happens in a very unlikely way that involves another sweet redemption story. Ollie, who's the team, when we when we first meet him, he's the shortest guy on the team, and he's really only the equipment manager, and he doesn't play hardly at all. Ollie ends up having to go in the game because he's they have, they have a, a, a short bench, literally. Not a lot of players and not a lot of height. And Ollie, who doesn't ever get to play, has to go in. The other team recognizes Ollie's not probably very good, so they foul him a couple times thinking he's never going to make the free throws. And what I loved about this, Warwick, is that it's set in the 50s, and that was when it was more common to shoot free throws underhanded, right? And so the first free throw that Ollie throws after he gets fouled is like is like 10 feet short of the basket. So you're like, oh gosh. And the, you can see the wind coming out of all the all the Hickory fans in the stands. But he's got to make two shots to give them the lead, and he actually does it. It's the redemption story of the quote unquote least valuable member of the team who's given the chance and he leads the team to victory. He seizes that chance when he's given it. And that is uh, the belief and even, and even putting him on the team. Go back. If we go back to the first scene, when Ali says, I'm just the equipment manager and, and coach Dale, who just met the players minutes ago says, no, okay, you're going to play. He, he says, no, you're a player. So the very fact that, Sure, Coach Dale probably wouldn't have if he had his if he had the ability to not have to put Ollie in. He probably would have chosen not to do so, but he was the last player on there. But the only reason Ollie's on that bench is because Coach Dale believed he could contribute something, believed he deserved to be a player when he first met him at the start of his journey, which is again another way of how Coach Norman Dale's character um, shines through and helps the team achieve significance and success together. Yeah, it's another, there's so many examples of redemption in this movie, and that's another great example. Um, you know, nobody believes in Ollie, you know, he's the right. shortest player, the least athletically talented, critical times in the game where, um, you know, he just, you know, dribbles the ball out, you know, out of bounds, he gets the right. ball stolen. I mean, right. it's just single-handedly, if you were a cynic, you'd say Ollie is single-handedly trying to help us lose this game. Right. What's the you know, if you're a parent of another kid, you know, you tend not to be charitable um, because you're all about winning. But it was just a wonderful moment in which somebody believed in Ollie. You can, you know, they, they carry him off on their shoulders when they win. That's a story you'll have for the rest of his life, irrespective of what he does. So 
having somebody believe in you like that, that's huge. It's a small part of the movie, but it's so many examples of somebody like Coach Norman Dale believing in folks that it has could have a big impact on his life. We don't know, but it's a wonderful, another redemptive arc on a, in this case, not a big character in the movie, but it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great cinematic moment because you sort of forget Ollie's even there. And then all of a sudden these things happen and Ollie has to go on the, uh, you know, on the court and it's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's Ollie. Oh no. Even as a viewer, right. You're going, Oh, this, you know, this is probably, I know that this is one of those movies that they're, you know, the team probably wins in the end, but Ooh, Ollie, how's how, how's he going to do that? Uh, but he does, uh, he does do that. One of the things that Norman Dale does throughout the movie, and 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 you were struck by one of the things when they go, uh, Hickory small town. Uh, in fact, the the Hickory Huskers is actually based on the true story of uh, Milan High School in Indiana, which won the state tournament state title in 1954 over a school that had ten times this the number of students that Hickory had. So they're not accustomed, this place that they're going to go play in now for the championship game, right? That Ollie wins the, the semifinal and now they're going to go to the finals. This field house they're playing in this enormous field house in Indianapolis is unlike anything. I mean, Coach Dale tells somebody uh, in the press, you know, my kids haven't even seen a two-story building, many of them, right? And there's this three, four-story, you know, huge field house. But one of the things he does, again, the character of Norman Dale trying to trying to ease the path forward for his for his kids. You were struck by the way that he kind of uh, pulls out a tape measure and, and and teaches them something that that drops down their anxiety level. Yeah, it's sort of a wonderful scene. Here they are in uh, what they call Butler Fieldhouse, which I'm assuming may be Butler University that happens to be in Indianapolis. So uh, at least one would lead you to believe that, but it's a massive cavernous place. And so we get to the tape measure, measures the, the sidelines, has somebody get on somebody's shoulders and measures the height of the hoop, and it's indeed 10 feet. And he says, funny, the measurements of this court are the same as our court back in Hickory. Huh, right. that's interesting. Obviously, the, the place is much bigger, but the court's the same. It was a powerful way of telling his... Uh, students telling his kids, hey, you know, I know this seems pretty scary. It's just a basketball court. It's the same as we have. Just really trying to settle their nerves down. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing moment. So this will come as no surprise probably to anybody who's who's listening here, but Hickory does get to the finals. They get into that big field house, a small school from the sticks playing a big city powerhouse. It is, as we heard at the cl- in the clip at the top of the show, and it is a David and Goliath story um, that they would even be there to play. Um, a group of boys no one thought could reach such heights, led by a coach whose failure almost robbed him from ever reaching such heights again. Each needed the other to get there. That's what makes Coach Dale's final words in that clip we heard at the outset, so poignant when he has the huddle and says, not any rah-rah statement to get them motivated. He just looks across them. His eyes pan across the boys in front of him, and he says, I love you guys. 
such a poignant moment that speaks to the importance, the value of significance over mere success. Absolutely. I mean, that whole David and Goliath metaphor, it is true. I mean, we hear the commentators say that the school they're playing from South Bend, Indiana, it's a massive school. It has an enrollment of 2,800, 2,800 kids. Earlier on in the movie, we learned that Hickory has you know, only 64 boys in the high school. Well, doing the math, assuming it's like roughly 50-50 boys right. and girls, you know, that means it's like a pool of 1,400 boys from South Bend High School to 64 at uh, Hickory. I mean, that you do the math and it's like, it's nuts. And it turns out that um, there are a lot bigger. They have a starting lineup with kids who were 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Back in the early 50s, that's as big. I mean, right. it's more commonplace now, but high school basketball in the early 50s, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I mean, wow. It'd be very easy to look at that and say, okay, they're, they're probably more athletic. They're bigger than us. Our chances of winning is like one in a million. Let's give up. It is truly a David and Goliath moment. Uh, but um, obviously, as we'll find out later, um, it doesn't deter Coach Norman Dale. You heard the speech in the clip. He's going to go in there. He loves these guys. They're going to do their best, win or lose. It's not about the scoreboard. They're going to play the game of basketball the right way, and they give it their all. But certainly before the game starts, you would think the chances they have of winning is close to zero, given the size of the school, the size of the other players. You would say, yeah, maybe it's not zero chance, but it's about as close as you could get. It really is a David and Goliath uh, moment, that game. And David, who in the biblical story has a, a, a slingshot and a stone, in this movie, Hickory has a Jimmy Chitwood and a basketball. Because here's here's my guy, Jimmy Chitwood. Here's my jersey again. <laughs> Jimmy Chitwood ends up taking the the uh, last shot and wins the game. And, um, and, and Hickory becomes the unlikely state champions in the state of Indiana, which, you know, being state champions in general, I, I'm in Wisconsin. That would be a big thing to be state champions in Wisconsin. The football team in my high school won a couple of uh, football championships in the state when I was in high school, but it's not quite the same. Basketball is everything in Indiana. And um, that's where Larry Bird is from, right? To be state champions in that state, to be that small a school, enormous accomplishment. And again, based on a real accomplishment um, of a high school, um, a Milan high school in 1954 that did the same thing. This is That's who Hickory is based on. But the beautiful thing about the movie, it ends, Hickory wins. Shooter is fully reconciled with his son. That scene, Warwick, when when that happens, the reconciliation of of Shooter and his son, I know that moves you seeing that play out on screen. Um, talk a little about how that was uh, so moving to you. Yeah, again, that's uh, obviously you have the redemption of Norman Dale with Cletus, uh, the high school principal, longtime buddy of uh, Norman Dale's, believing in him, giving him a second chance. And you've got Coach Norman Dale believing in Shooter, giving him second chances even when uh, Shooter kind of falls back and is you know drinking again. Coach Dale doesn't give up on him. And at first, Shooter's son is like, well, 
coach, why are you doing this? Like it's hard for the son to believe in the father. But in some ways, I think you have Coach Norman Dale modeling a redemptive spirit, modeling redemptive character. And in a sense, he disciples and teaches uh, Shooter's son about forgiveness and redemption. And so there's a wonderful scene where um, you've got Shooter still in rehab in the hospital and uh, his son goes to see him. And, um, you know, Shooter is just feeling uh, very bad and says, I'm so sorry, I was drunk again. And he's feeling really bad about himself and very contrite. And his son says, you know what, Dad? It doesn't matter. It's okay. And you know, when you get out of here, let's get a house and, you know, we'll be a family and live together. And, um, you know, I think this is before that last game and Shooter says he wishes he could be there. And obviously he listens to it on the radio and you can imagine the elation that he has. You know, uh, TV wasn't quite widespread back then, certainly not in hospital wards. But he had a little Philco radio that was doing the job (laughs) for him. Exactly. So that sense of redemption, not only is Shooter feeling like people believe in him, at least Norman Dale does, and he's assistant coach on the team, but to get the belief of your son it doesn't get any better than that. To have your son believe in you again, my gosh, that is just like uh, turbocharging your sense of redemption. And at that point, we don't know what happened. At that point, if you know, I don't know what more motivation Shooter would need to sort of stay on, on the straight and narrow, having your son believe in him. I mean, all of those helps you come back when you have the belief of somebody like Norman Dale and then finally the belief of his son. It's just a wonderful redemptive moment. Yeah. And, and to close up all the storylines, Coach Dale and Myra wind up kind of becoming romantically linked at the end. And it truly is, by the time the movie ends, it's kind of life's of significance all around. Um, it, it's, it's a great example. All these, these narrative arcs that we've talked about in terms of, of um, success plus significance over just success and pursuing significance as you're aiming at whatever, however it might turn out, like coach Dale said, whether, you know, win or lose, if you give your best, uh, your winners in my book, that is uh, a great message to take away. So there's lives of significance for everybody here. And it's funny, Warwick, speaking of lives of significance, um, I know that, that one of the chief areas of significance for you is your family. And um, as happens sometimes on the show, what we're talking about, there's a little bit of a connection to the Fairfax family in some way. Um, Explain that to folks, um, uh, how Indiana basketball and the Fairfax family go together, like peanut butter and jelly, maybe a little bit. Yeah, you would think, how could that possibly be? I grew up in a big city in Sydney, very cosmopolitan. But um, yeah, all my three kids, uh, Will, Gracie, and Robbie, They all went to a small uh, Christian college, about 2,000-odd undergrad, um, and it's in Indiana. And uh, so we've been there often over the years, and 
it is kind of like the movie, uh, in the beginning of the movie, when you see Coach Normandale drive over these country roads. Uh, Taylor University is in Upland, Indiana, and it literally is in the middle of nowhere. Cornfields and fields for miles. I mean, if anything, Hickory, I think, is a bit more uh, densely populated than Upland, Indiana. It's I a know. little bit more remote than Hickory. I mean, you and I went there for, <laughs> for a speaking engagement because you spoke at Taylor, and we got... Right like blocked from our hotel room in the middle of nowhere right. by some construction that was going on. We had to go like 10 miles out of our way to get there. So you're right. It is in the middle of nowhere and it's not easy to navigate. All but one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I, mean, I love this movie even before my kids went to Taylor, but there's this iconic moment. It's in December every year. Uh, the Taylor basketball uh, team, they play this this game and it's called the silent night game and what's fascinating is this moment at taylor has been on espn fox news and other networks more than once now how could a small christian college get on espn right you would think that's kind of impossible nobody's really heard of taylor uh, outside of maybe christian education so there's a moment when um the whole uh people in the stands all of the fans are silent until the 10th point is scored. And when the 10th point is scored, all pandemonium breaks out. Right. You have kids <laughs> dressed up in all, everything from gorilla suits to, I mean, all sorts of weird and, and wacky costumes. And they all run onto the field and music's playing. And you know, all of this, you know, the poor opposing team realizes this is gonna happen. You know, they played right. Taylor in their conference and at the 10th <laughs> point, stuff's gonna happen. And then after the mayhem ends and the fans go back in the stands, the fans sing Silent Night. The game of basketball is going on. And so you're playing the game while people are singing Silent Night and they're moving back and forth. And so, um, you, you know, won't see it in the audio version, but we'll try and put a clip in. in you know, there's a YouTube clip. Um, you'll get a, a feel of... You know, when people, you know, yell when the 10th point is scored and then Silent Night is being played. And you'll see in this clip a close-up of my older son, Will. He's uh, got a green hat on, no shirt. He's part of another <laughs> group of guys in his dorm. And uh, not quite sure how we'll point him out. Maybe an arrow. We'll figure out something <laughs> so that you Isn't can he, figure out who he is. <laughs> he's like got a T painted on his chest. Is that what he's got yeah, painted a, on his chest? A, yeah, a, a T and a green hat. So. Yeah. You'll see it, but it's it's a wonderful moment and a great tradition. And, you know, it's Indiana basketball. I mean, of all the states in the country, basketball is synonymous with Indiana. And, you know, small town places uh, that brings people together. And, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful tradition. And they've been doing that for many years of 10th point. It goes silent. And then they go crazy and singing Silent Night. Uh, you know, Pack Stadium. It's pretty amazing. And even the opposing team, it's hard not to get swept up in the moment when, you know, those sorts of things happen. So, yeah, Indiana basketball, it's it's a special place and, yeah, special traditions. And it is, uh, even in that moment, right, as as rambunctious and Mardi Gras-like as I, I've seen the clip, you showed me the clip of all of the, you know, I mean, once that 10th point is scored, it's Mardi Gras. It's, it's New Year's Eve in Times Square. It's crazy. But then to, to sing a Christmas hymn uh, of significance at that time, again, I think speaks to um, what's really important um, in the hearts, certainly of the students at Taylor and backing up into the movie, we see what's important 
right? We've been talking about in this episode, what's important to coach Norman Dale and the way that he uh, pays that forward to some people. He's been given a second chance. And in that second chance, he gives other people a second chance. And that's really kind of a beautiful um, uh, way of living beyond your crucible. So this is fun because I've never asked you this question in any episode that we've ever had a dialogue. And it's appropriate for this, the final episode of Lights, Camera, Crucibles. You you ask guests often on the show, the last question is, um, what's your message of hope for listeners? I'll ask, I'll, I'll reframe it a little bit. What is your perspective message of hope that you believe big picture, 30,000 foot level, this eight part series on what movie heroes can teach us about overcoming setback and failure. What's your message of take this away, folks. Um, Here's your hopeful nugget as you consider all eight episodes of this series. You know, I'd say we talk a lot on Beyond the Crucible and Crucible Leadership that your worst day doesn't have to define you. It could be from something that was horrific done to you. It could be from your own mistakes. I mean, we've had a lot of different examples in an earlier movie, The Natural. You know, you had uh, Roy Hobbs not seeing this um, sort of psycho woman that um, shot him and he believes he should have seen it. And maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't have been with her in the first place. Ironically, sorry. He had a part to play. Yeah. Ironically, she's played by actress uh, Barbara Hershey, who plays, who plays Myra in this movie. So look at that symmetry. That Sorry is, to interrupt you, but that is no, interesting. not at all. That is such a good point. I was thinking about that, but such a good point. But yeah, I mean, in in various of those movies, you or in an Iron Man that we did, um, you know, very recently, uh, you have just a guy uh, who's just um, you know uh, egotistical. Uh, it's all about him. And he goes through a, a redemptive arc where he realizes maybe it's not about me. Maybe it's not all about Tony Stark. You know, maybe right. it's about, uh, re, you know, redeeming and helping others. So I think one of the messages of hope in the series is your worst day doesn't have to define you. Part of it is learning the lessons of your crucible. It's realizing what matters in life. You know, what do I really want my beliefs and values to be. In the case of Tony Stark, it went from narcissistic, self-centered, it's all about power and money, to maybe I can use the technology we develop rather than making weapons to uh, help others in you know sustainable energy. So this is a great capstone with Norman Dale. It's redemption after redemption. You know, life doesn't get much better than when you can use your crucible as uh, a force of redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, your crucible, rather than being one of pain, maybe turns into a crucible of redemption where you can help others come back from their worst days. You can pay it forward. You can give a second chance at redemption, a second chance at life to others. So we talk all the time about a crucible leadership is your worst. It doesn't have to find you. Learn the lessons of your crucible. And instead of living some hedonistic, it's all about me and success and fame life, live a life of significance, a life on purpose, dedicated to serving others. That's what Coach Norman Dale does. It's not about winning. It's about helping kids learn about how to play basketball the right way. And more importantly, help kids learn how to win in the game of life, help 
them learn lessons of character and teamwork and selflessness. Um, it's so really, I guess the message of hope from the series is your worst day doesn't have to define you. Redemption is possible, and you can pay f- uh, redemption forward by being a force of redemption in other people's lives, helping other people live lives of significance, help other people uh, live lives of redemption. Here, Coach Norman Dale helped to redeem, you know, Shooter's life. Uh, Ollie, you know, maybe his life wasn't in turmoil, but little, you know, some grains of redemption is if you can use your redemption as a force to help redeem others, to me, that's about as good a life of significance as you can get that will lead to joy and fulfillment at a level you've probably never experienced. So to me, that's what life should be, is helping to be a force of redemption in the world and helping yourself and others lead a life of significance. So, yeah. You know what I love about what you just said? You've just described your arc, right? That's Warwick Fairfax's arc. That's exactly what your life has been. That's what you're doing through Crucible Leadership. That is an appropriate place, listener, for us to tie the bow. Um, I'm going to leave you with this reflection question about specifically, yes, Hoosiers, but also in general about what Warwick just talked about, about the series. And that is, is this. We talked a lot about redemption here. So ask yourself this question. How can your own journey of moving beyond your crucible be viewed as a story of redemption? Think about that. Warwick said at the top of the show, he had not thought of his moving beyond his crucible in terms of deliverance until we were recording a video and then it just popped out of his mouth. So reflect on those things. How has your journey that you may have concluded the journey of a crucible, you may still be walking it. How can that be looked at as a story of redemption? And what can you do to continue this? What can you do to pay it forward, to help other people? The old shampoo commercial, and I told two friends and so on and so on and so on. I paid it forward and, and, and what kind of redemption, what kind of redemption revolution might we be able to, to create if we do the kinds of things that Norman Dale did and I'll embarrass him and that Warwick has done. So listener, thank you so much for spending eight weeks, two months with us as we've gone through this series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles. We appreciate um, your interest in, in what we do at Beyond the Crucible and at Crucible Leadership. And we will be back um, next couple of weeks with another episode that will talk about this truth that we've talked about in all eight of these episodes and we've talked about in all 120 plus episodes of the show. And that's this, your crucible experiences are painful. We know that they're difficult. They knock the the wind out of your sails and they can knock you off course where you think you're going in life, but they're not the end of your story. Your worst day doesn't define you. If you learn the lessons of that crucible, if you apply them as you move forward, where you're gonna get taken to is on a journey toward the best end point that you can get. And that end point is, that destination is a life of significance.